1: I'm Jason Comstock, and welcome to We Happy Few, the podcast that allows veterans and their families to tell their stories.
0: So my name is Nainzell Rasmussen. I was in the Air National Guard uh, between 1989 and 2001. And why I joined the Air National Guard is because I had family friends who had been part of the Air National Guard. But more importantly, uh, my grandfather was a World War II veteran, and he was such a heavy influence on my decision to join. Um, Also, my parents had taken me to the Air Force Academy in Colorado, and um, I just remember the grid system and the order of things and how important that was to me, and so that's really why I joined, and here I am.
2: (laughs) Uh, Would you just give us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and sort of why, you know, that connection, but were there other career
0: choices or college choices? What were you thinking? Well, in my in my early years, um, so I'm from Seattle and born and raised there. Very proud of my native Seattle heritage. Anyway, um, and as far as my schooling, um, you know, went through typical K through 12. And then from there, um, I had been in the military from age 18, two weeks right out of high school, um, my mother wouldn't sign my paperwork, she's going to kill me for hearing this, but um, she was afraid for me to go into the military, and um, and a lot of that, I think, came from the Vietnam era, I was born during Vietnam, and I think that that, I think there were fears in the country, and and the older I got, I mean, I was a lot, part of a lot of military discussions at, you know, Sunday dinner, family table, you know, growing up, and so I, I think that that definitely influenced me. And then as um, education becomes such an important piece to me, both my parents are educators. I ended up deciding that I wanted to um, pursue my education um, right out of out of high school. I ended up, I, I went and did like 32 credits or something and and then went off and went and did the military and, and then from there um, was doing the military and then ended up being an older student and that. Um, I graduated with my bachelor's not until I was 29 years old, and then from there um, finished up my master's and then went into my doctorate later. So realizing that education was such an integral part of not just what I had learned through the military and my career, um, I was worked for the state of California and the state of Washington through most of my career, and got out of that um, really wanting to take what I had learned through education between um, bachelor's and graduate work and take and marry those two things. I was came from a human services background, military background, adding education um with my doctorate in education. So that's how it combined everything. So
1: what was your job while you were in the military?
0: So in the military I did I started out as administrative. That's a very general term for what you do. Um ended up in doing mishap investigation and part of my career um with them and that was a huge I guess I guess the word would be influence <laughs> on my decisions and, and how that impacted me and what I saw and what I witnessed and um, and how it impacted other people and their family lives. Yeah.
1: So what does that mean? Yeah. What is, what is mishap investigation?
0: So what that means is that when an F-16 or F-18, that's my era, so when the F-16s in particular would – Um, have mishaps, Um, we would be investigating those scenes and being part of that um, uh, process. And that's the most I can tell you. But but I mean, the
2: impact, you say it had an impact on you. It impacted you in what you chose to do or in just the reality of serving in any?
0: I think both. Okay, You know, the reality was that um, mishaps, accidents, there's lots of things that happen. But mishap isn't only just strictly accidents. It was also You know, during that time frame, there were some things going on in the country that were um, pretty hard. And I think just seeing what military was going through overall at that time period and um, what was going on politically as well certainly had an impact on my thinking and what I eventually wanted to do later down the road um, once I got out of um, state and federal government and moving into nonprofit work.
2: So. so, just expound on that, like so it made you want to serve in another way, or what like what what do you mean it had an impact on it
0: uh The impact had to do with those that had a difficult time within the military um or went through hard things, and um, their mental health was affected and that certainly influenced my decisions in my schooling and and what I decided to do with my schooling and then later down the road, uh, you know opening up a nonprofit for that very purpose, so that was certainly uh, an important piece to all of that and the impact of
1: it so what are your what do you think your biggest takeaways are from your military service?
0: My biggest takeaways would be the camaraderie that I had with the people that were there because I was part of the headquarters when I was part of them. Um, it also such a huge piece. I have such a passion and love for this country and and the Americanism that's tied to everything that's with the military. I, I wouldn't change any of it. In fact, I wanted to retire from it but I, I couldn't due to a, a family matter and uh, that was something that um, I I just loved the people and and everything that was part of that. So it it did it influenced me. So how old were you when you joined? I was eighteen.
2: Okay, and so what was it? What was it like for you? Describe like your first couple of days and days.
0: What, what do you remember basic from training. basic training? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm being scared. I think you know. You don't. You think you know when you're 18 years old and you go into something like that, and and also on top of that being female, there was a difference with that at that time for me. Um, but just yeah, scared. Um, you're being yelled at all the time. Um, but at the same time, had you
2: ever experienced that before being yelled at? Yeah, like did you do sports or? Oh yeah, I
0: was a swimmer. Um, okay, that's, yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: But, I, but swimming that's... coaches don't
0: have the reputation that like a football coach. No, or a it basketball wasn't like it has, wasn't yeah. like ball sports. You know, yeah. I was into dance and music <laughs> and swimming, and you know, but ball sports were a whole different thing. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, I just remember, though, it was what I expected as far as the order of things and, and how much that was going to impact and influence me, not only at that age, but for my life. Um, it definitely, the discipline, it was very easy for me to just go in and just do what I was told at that time, knowing full well it was going to lead me in a direction of being able to lead later in my life without having a drill instructor yelling at me.
1: <laughs> so how did, you, how did you have the... I guess the courage because I remember basic training, you get off that bus. Yeah. And then suddenly you're questioning every decision you've ever made in your life. <laughs> <laughs> so so how is it that you were able to develop the courage to just say, you know, I'm just going to stick it out. This this too will pass.
0: I think my courage comes from I think life experiences all the way through my childhood and through my teen years, but but also because I trusted that my country would, would uh be there and, and then I'd be able to help it. I think that was a huge piece to having the courage. It's like, nah, no, they're not gonna they're not gonna hurt me here. They're here to train me, they're help here to, to build me and 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 um and use those skills for things that I needed later. Did you ever have a time when you thought maybe I made a mistake? No. Okay. Absolutely not. No, that is something that uh I have no regrets at all. I, I absolutely loved being in the Air Force. Absolutely loved it. And mm-hmm. did you see You said you wanted to retire. What did you see yourself becoming or doing with the Air Force? Uh, at one point, I was going to go to OCS and, and go in and, and do some more within um, and become an officer. Um, but there's something to be said for that, too. I also love the enlisted and um, that whole... There's a difference between everybody knows if you're in the military. There was a difference between the enlisted and the officers, and yet at the same time, um, depending w- where you served and who you served with, it also can be a really positive and great experience between enlisted and officers. So, I, I just, I don't know, just kept going, <laughs> doing what we were doing.
1: Did you ever have experiences where you felt as a woman that you missed opportunities or weren't treated the same as as other airmen?
0: Hmm. Or got
2: opportunities that other people didn't. I mean, it could work both ways.
0: No. No. I, you know, and I've heard things. I've heard that people feel that they didn't have the same opportunities, or they were treated differently, or they had some really negative experiences as a female within the military. But I just didn't. I was, it was so positive And I was working with really great people, even though the majority was men. Um, we just had a great experience. So I really didn't know. I was, was was that different
2: or did that change you somewhat? Because if you are involved in dance and, and swimming and things like that, (laughs) and then you go into mostly male, pretty fraternal Mm -hmm. unit and very macho, Mm -hmm. um, did that shape you, I guess, or have an impact on you?
0: I think it did to a certain degree, I guess. Um, you know, when I think back then to where I'm at today, I'm able to interact, I think, with the males within the military really well, uh, because I was around males most of the time in my career with the military. So I think that did impact me, yes, as far as um, not not feeling like it was going to be a negative thing for me but more positive that I could interact whether it was male or female even in in more dominant areas of male i it didn't you know i i didn't it wasn't a i guess what i'm saying is it wasn't a negative thing for me yeah what yeah. was it
2: like being um in the air force during uh desert storm you I mean, know i, I can <laughs> still remember watching that on tv yeah really?
0: yeah yeah it was you know, I think the biggest thing for that, because I was stateside that whole time for Desert Storm, I was in a support role, and m- my direct boss was the commander, So, and he was a pilot. So he would leave on flights to Iraq, Afghanistan areas, and his missions, and then he'd come back. And I'd see the difference between before he left... And then he went and then he came back and it was a different time. And so I saw the influence on him as well as those who also went over in country and and the impact it had on their on their mental wellness. Um, I say wellness because I think everybody has the ability to be well, uh, but it's their health. And and so it, that that influenced me during that time, and I, I remember that really well. I was still young; I was in my twenties, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you start you start seeing a lot of things during that time, yeah. And it was it was it's war. There's a lot of things you see during war.
1: Were you um, involved in any units? I guess that had action in in Bosnia or Yug- former uh, no? Yugoslavia? But I
0: had friends that were, and um, one in particular t- today even was so impacted by that he's just never recovered from that and and that's another reason you know we have friends and family members who have been in combat and have dealt with different things and um, bosnia in particular was one that was extremely um, hard for some of my own friends that are today still
1: you know dealing with that and we tend to we tend to kind of skip over that we do experience And, and a lot of military members were impacted by that.
0: They absolutely were. Um yeah, one of my my good friends still today he uh he's still dealing with it heavily. And 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 it is. It's the PTSD. It's the other mental health um components to that that really make it hard to to watch and see. So that's obviously why I got involved with what I do. <laughs> that's just one person, right? So you get
2: out and you're going to college uh, do you what career you said you you it impacted your career path? Did you do sociology? What was your
0: my so my bachelor's was in um, human and community services. Um, I purposely chose not to become an LCSW. I didn't want to get mm-hmm. trapped in an office and just working one on one with folks. I needed to be much broader and have a broader impact. I felt like, and so um, I ended up working in the regional center system in the state of California. And uh, working with the special needs population initially in the beginning of my my career. And then um, moved on from there and worked for the state of Washington for the Office of Minority and Women Business Enterprise. So that was a whole uh, situation there, too. So, yeah.
1: So how soon after you got out of the military did you realize you wanted to find a way to continue to work with veterans?
0: I don't think that's ever – that's – that's always been part of my life. I, I think because as a child, I was around my my grandfather for such extended periods of time. And I, I used to go to the military order of World War events with him um, in downtown Seattle. And so I even as a child would help him with his adjutant duties. Um, not only had he been an adjutant as a as a retired officer, but he had, you know, even during World War II, he had been an adjutant. So there was a lot of things administratively that I helped him with, even in veteran service organizations. So I don't really ever remember that. Not being in my mind of oh well of course that's what you do of course you help veterans that's just what you do <laughs> it's just like normal and part of my life so I can't actually ever remember outside of you know your memory as a child you obviously you're not, maybe not remember something when you're 18 months old but but when did you decide it would become the focus of your life like it would become like sort of your work right um really. I mean, if you wanted to base it off a business, it would have been 2017 when I opened Honor 365. Uh, Prior to that, though, I always it was my dream was to have this nonprofit that could that could serve and support veterans, and so it was always just sitting on the back burner until I was ready to to leave state government and move into a nonprofit. Doing nonprofit work.
1: So, what is Honor 365?
0: So, Honor 365 is where we uh, help with resource and referral for veterans and first responders. It's not strictly just military. Um, the VA system is complicated and it's convoluted, and a lot of our veterans have a really difficult time navigating through that system. Um, and we we work a lot with the VA, um, but we also work with a lot of nonprofit organizations and for-profit businesses who want to support veterans and first responders. And so um, we do that, and then we do cause-driven events called 10-4 Responding. 10-4 meaning mutual understanding, if you know 10-4 mm-hmm. code um, in law enforcement especially, and... Um, and then we're responding to the epidemic, the suicide epidemic here in the United States. Um, and so we do both. We do those. And then we have four pillars that focus on education, employment, healthcare, care, and housing. There's a lot of need. It's a massive journey and, and uh, a lot to do. But um, we, we keep putting one foot in front of the other and keep working towards it.
2: Is it massive
0: because um, when they come to you
2: and they're having difficulty navigating whatever system it is, if it's a state government mm-hmm. uh, situation or the v a um, is it is that where you guys say we can we can figure that we know this, we can figure this out or how how does it work
0: we don 't know everything, yeah, you know, um but we have we've discovered between myself and and my associate director as a prior paramedic. Um, so between the two of us, me coming from the military background, her coming from first responder background, it's a great way to just navigate through through these intricate systems. You know, it's not like you can just walk into a police department and instantly know everything about that police department. So we work collaboratively with fire chiefs and pl- police chiefs and the officers themselves and. Firefighters and 911 dispatch and military bases and, and develop I think most importantly those relationships that you need to have uh, which with each of those different groups and uh, that's how we do it just a day at a time and that's how we resource out and as we build those relationships we're able to call up you know someone and say we have a need for this individual can you help with that and we help navigate that with the veteran or the first responder.
1: I think this is a great time to take a break and hear from the businesses that are making this podcast possible. If you support us and what we are doing, please support them.
2: Hi, I'm Amy
0: Donaldson. And I'm Jason Lee.
2: Listen to our free podcast, Voices of Reason, unless you enjoy screaming matches.
0: Nope, you're not going to hear that with us. You'll hear folks who may disagree, but seek to understand different views.
2: That's Voices of Reason on the KSL Radio app or wherever you find interesting podcasts.
1: Can you share a time when, especially when, when, when you, the first time you saw Honor 365 impact somebody's life?
0: Mm-hmm. It was immediate. Uh, we had a young man who was a Marine Corps veteran and he was having a very difficult time in life. And probably, you pretty much could say every aspect of his life was being impacted. Um, he didn't have employment, he didn't have housing, his health care was not in check. <laughs> You know, there was several things going on there, and we were able to immediately, this was right out the gate after Honor 365 had opened, and uh, we just helped him navigate. And he was, you know, in his mid, late 20s, um, had been out of the, the military for about a year and a half and uh, was just not doing well. And so we we helped him get there. We tapped into the resources, we contacted people that we knew that would would be able to help, and the next thing we know, uh, today this individual is doing extremely well, has a full-time job, uh, finishes his bachelor's this December. Uh, There's some really amazing, awesome things that have happened over the last two years with that veteran.
2: Are there um, experiences you've had or people you've worked with um, as you've been doing this that it's surprised you? One, so it's it seems like I remember being really shocked that that unemployment numbers were higher for veterans than mm-hmm. for ordinary people, mm-hmm. right? For civilians, and um, and th- you know that's a complicated mm-hmm. um, problem. There is a lot of reasons for that, mm-hmm. um, but I would think as an employer that would be. Like a huge plus, right? I mm-hmm. would hire a veteran if all of other things being equal. Absolutely, every single every day of the week. But there were some issues, and I wonder when you talk to businesses or when you're trying to connect people with resources, are there things that you've discovered that um, about um, the? I guess the perception of serving and the perception of being a military veteran versus what is like really that you have to dispel or educate people about.
0: Yes, you know, they have a transition assistance program that they call TAP in the military. And um, my understanding is it keeps decreasing by months. Like when I was in it was nine months that transition time, if I remember right. Um, Last I heard was three months. Um, three months to transition out of the military after you've been in for any extended period of time. That's a huge, especially if you're younger and you went straight into the military and came back out. So the perception is is that uh, because they received it, it, this is my humble opinion of course <laughs> but <laughs> the perception is is that because they've been in the military and they've had all this training that they're going to transition in and out and they're just going to be successful instantly. Like it's just this because they provided that um but the reality is is when you put that into real time and you're actually doing it and you're you're trying to get this job and you're trying to get the help that you need or maybe your ego doesn't want you to go into the va health and, and take care of your mental health you know there's a lot of different reasons why people don't do certain things mm-hmm. and i think it's removing that stigma i think there's been a stigma that's attached and people have this perception that it's going to be this way um You know, I've had a Vietnam veteran saying, There's no way I'm walking through the doors of that VA. They won't do it. My father. And (laughs) right. And so we have a lot of what I call real talk conversations Mm -hmm. about. How there have been positive things that have happened. There's been changes that have occurred. And if they're not having a positive experience, to let us know. And we'll work with those individuals who want to to have that good perception of what something like the VA or other people are doing. There's amazing people doing amazing things.
1: Have you ever had to have one of those real talk conversations with a business where they said, I don't know if I want to hire a veteran? What if he goes crazy?
0: Yes, I you, have. How do you help them? You know, we had we had a a senior HR person that we sat down. This was back over a year ago. Sat down with senior HR and said, you know, I have this veteran. I think it's going to be a great fit, and you know, and uh, he gets in there. He doesn't interview well, and um, they're like, ah, you know, I don't think so. That's not going to work out for us. And I said, but what what efforts are we making in in corporate America to to actually help the veteran be successful in an interview, for example. and um, so yeah, how, Tell me about the interview skills class you took in boot camp. Yeah, we were yelled at and then, <laughs> and then right. figure it out. And, <laughs> don't you ask know, questions. Don't ask questions and I, don't I, I re, talk. I, re, I remember the phrase, yes. if I
1: wanted your opinion, Comstock, <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd issue you I'd one. I'd issue you one, <laughs> right, right.
0: Yeah, no, you, you don't, you know... <laughs> There's so many things about basic training that just don't provide that opportunity. I think, but yeah. but at the same time, there's some amazing things that happen during basic training too that do help and train you up for who you are, um, that affect you. Yeah, and uh, so some of that is I also think once somebody gets out of the military and they you know they're they're sitting there, you know, in an interview with some corporate america <laughs> business that says you know gosh you had all this training we just thought it's almost like they, the perceptions that they instantly should know that this is going to work and <laughs> they're going they're going to be successful instantly and it's just it takes some time and some transition and it, and to be fair i think the the veterans need that opportunity to show what skill sets they have, apply what can happen in the work environment, and and go, okay, those are the skills that you have here, where where are the gaps? And what are some things that we need to work on so you can have success? And there's a lot of programs out there, nonprofits and government institutions, and um, a lot of companies today are doing some really great things to help support that and, and remove mm-hmm. the stigma and some of the perceptions that maybe they had before.
2: Yeah. So one of the things um, that I, I, in talking to some, they were HR people uh, about. Um, well, we're worried about the mental health thing because if you mm-hmm. have mental health issues, then you're going to miss more work. And I said, Well, mm-hmm. would you not hire a diabetic? You right. know, would you not hire? Um, uh, right. I have migraines. You know. Um, <laughs> well, I think everybody you know, I mean, has we, things. But yeah, know? but I'm. That, but, or, or what about women who are going to have children? Right? right. Right. So I think that. Um, it was just telling to me that and and we talk about Jason and I've talked about this idea of removing stigma from mental health right mm-hmm. and mental wellness as mm-hmm. you say but mm-hmm. um if we're unwilling to say I, I it's been amazing to me to talk to veterans who say oh yeah my boss understands that i have this issue around this certain time mm-hmm. and so i will only work a half day this this week or you know he, and i think you know, he's so much more loyal to that company. He's Mm -hmm. so much more committed. He does, he's goes over and above and you can't teach that. Like that isn't something that Mm -hmm. you would get in an interview. And Mm -hmm. I just don't know how you,
0: do you just tell them success stories? Like how do you convince them? Like, you know, it's just like, you know, if you sit down with your family member, they, they hopefully trust you. Yeah. And one of the things that I've discovered is, is that, this is veteran to veteran. If I'm st- talking to you, Jason, about um, veteran, you know, military experiences, that instantly connects us on one level. Mm-hmm. Then there may be another, uh, you know, layer of that that comes with what you did for your job. You know, what did you do uh, when a certain situation happened? How did you defend your country? And I think that the the those layers they are deeply entrenched in our and the way that we think and how we, I, I think overall, um, how a lot of military folks um, handle and deal with things. So, I don't know. I Do you in... feel like we're living up to our commitment to take
2: care of veterans? To thank them fully for their service?
0: I do most of the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I you know, there's states. It it varies from state to state, city to city. Utah has been fantastic. I think they're a very patriotic state. I think they've done amazing work for veterans here in the state to improve things. Um, I've served on veteran advisory councils where I see the inner workings of what they're trying to do to improve Mm. um, situations for veterans. Um, So, yeah, I, I do. Do you um one
2: of the things I think uh, I noticed this in team Red, white, and Blue where I met Jason mm-hmm. um, and I also with my dad, but uh, part of what drives you to join the military is service mm-hmm. and you want to be of use to your country, to mm-hmm. your to your countrymen but um so when you come back and you don't feel of use you f- and you're asking for things or you're asking people to serve you, mm-hmm. I think that's like if you're if you are already sort of hardwired for that type of job. I think it's a really hard ask. So how do you get around that idea that you're asking for things? Now I need people to serve me.
1: Yeah, because as a veteran, I think Mm -hmm. it's great to tell people to go to the VA. I think it's Mm -hmm. a great idea. Mm -hmm. I think it's great to tell other veterans that that's where they should go to get services. Mm -hmm. But I have never. I mean, I've gone to the VA, but I've never done the process to get
2: service uh, connected.
1: Service connected, right? At all because. That's for, that's for everybody else. Other people need that and more. Why do you? And let me, <laughs> so, let me ask you yeah. an interview question here, Jason.
0: Why do you think that that's for everybody else?
1: Well, part of it, I know, uh, having talked about this before, is that I don't want to be seen as needy or weak or mm-hmm. broken. Right. That's really figuring out how to overcome my own pride is, mm-hmm. is you know.
0: But that's not uncommon, right? We're, we're taught that. Yeah, the that's beginning. Right. Yeah, mission we first. Go into, right, <laughs> we go into basic training, and you know, you've got your buddies back, and you're always going to be there, and do as you're told, and that's your order. And how are you going to get there? And I mean, there—that's just the mentality, right? I think part of this conversation with veterans is included. It's okay that you need something. And just because you do doesn't make you weak, What you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And it also means that it's going to help teach others that it's okay Mm -hmm. to get that help. Um, I think that's part of how we remove the stigma. Just because you need something or have to ask something doesn't necessarily mean that um, you're weak.
2: Well, I think it's, to me, it's fascinating. I mean, I grew up with a dad like this who had very similar... uh... Feeling still feels that way, right? Um, and I, um, I, it, he doesn't have that feeling about like going and getting medical care from a doctor. Like to me, you're doing the same thing, right?
0: Like it's, if I call up your dad today, yeah, and maybe he'll hear this. <laughs>
2: maybe my mom makes him listen. No. He does subscribe. If I call yeah.
0: up your dad today and I have a conversation with him mm-hmm. about his life and his care and. What's important to him or Mm -hmm. why he doesn't feel comfortable walking in through the VA doors Mm -hmm. or whatever it is, whatever the situation is, because it's it's all very individual. Right. Um, And yet we have a common denominator that we served. So when I talk to a veteran, um, I'm having these conversations that sometimes they don't want to have. And yet at the same time, there's a part of them (laughs) that will they want to tell their story um, oftentimes, um, even when they, you know, thought that they didn't.
2: Well, and when my dad was telling his story, he did say, you know, I didn't get, I didn't get the help I should have. Right. I didn't do, I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't, you know, and mm-hmm. your mother had to deal with that and you guys had to deal with that or whatever. And so I I do think that older veterans or veterans who have struggled and tried to do it on their own mm-hmm. um, could be of help if they will own that at some point and say, um, to other veterans, like, you're not, you're not doing the people you love most. You're, you, those are the people you're hurting with this, right? Mm-hmm. It's not, you're suffering, but the people who love you are suffering too. Right. And, and these are, I like to tell my dad, these are benefits that you earned. Like you have mm-hmm. paid a crappy wage <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and, you know, risk your life. The, the least you could do is go and get some hearing aids. You know?
0: Well, and <laughs> you know? hearing aids, actually, at last, the last statistic I knew through the VA here in Salt Lake was... That's the number one thing that they do the most of Well, at I think the that's the way you might get well, the Vietnam guys in. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I think that those are the kinds of conversations, and that's why we've had success, I think, in sitting down and, and talking with folks. And it hasn't started with, hey, I think you should go to the VA. <laughs> no, but <laughs> you know? do, you see a, do you see a
2: shift, though, in younger veterans? I mean, I know we have a suicide epidemic, but yeah. do you see, I feel like, the younger veterans we talk to are more willing to say, "I I do need some help. I do want to join a club mm-hmm. or join a running group." Or they feel like they have to do something. It might not always be the right thing.
0: Or the, I think know. America as a whole has worked really hard to help our younger generation to find that success. I do. Um, there is a difference between the Vietnam veteran mm-hmm. and the Gulf War veteran. There's been some differences there. Um, you know, but we also understand what the history of the Vietnam War was, mm-hmm. if we want to use that as an example, and how they retreated upon coming home. That's not new news to America, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we have there is a re- at least I feel there's a responsibility we have to yes, they go overseas or, or stateside, either way. Mm-hmm. I mean we ha we've had nine eleven, that was stateside. Yeah. Uh there's been some really, you know, hard things that have happened. But we also don't create helplessness either. So just because somebody needs help, I think there's a responsibility we also have to say, okay, you need this. Uh, Where's your part in this too? Mm -hmm. And that's the part where um, we have these conversations about what their needs are. Mm -hmm. And then we say, okay, so what is it that you can do to, to help yourself in this situation? Because if everybody does it for you, it is not going to help you in the long run. So we also don't want to enable veterans either. We want them to feel empowered by the, the mm-hmm. t- services and supports that are there. And when they have success and it's going great, gosh, how, how wonderful that is. Um, that, that has been, I think, one of the biggest testaments I probably have towards all of this is seeing the success and the quality of life that veterans have. And we're talking just about veterans, that's not even getting into first responders.
1: Do you you find that veterans, uh, do you ever hear them say, well, I never served in combat, so I don't. Yes. So what do you do? What do you say to those
0: We say, if you wore a uniform, you signed on that dotted line, you are a veteran. And I have many veterans, regardless of whether they've been reserve guard or active duty. And it's usually the reservists that say, eh, no, I'm not a veteran. Or they're sheepish about getting any credit for that. And, you know, we have active duty that have left active duty and gone just into reserve. So yeah, I do that with a separate veteran service organization. Uh, I do Honor Guard with them. And I feel that that is also my, my service and and duty to to God, family and country, always, uh, regardless of what I'm doing as a veteran. Um, Honor Guard has been a fantastic way to connect with the families and and the veterans themselves that are since passed and also tell their stories um there's some amazing people that that um i've been able to be a part of their lives uh, and their families lives um especially if i've known them before they passed and and gotten to know their families on that level it's it's really awesome to be a part of that
1: how did you get how did you get involved with the honor guard
0: I was, uh, I'm a member of the American Legion. I uh, got involved with that two and a half years ago here in Utah, and I was fortunate enough to be introduced to um, a district commander at that time, and um, of course, they led led me into the next thing of of doing Honor Guard, and and I just, that's exactly how it happened.
2: Will you describe what it feels like to be in an Honor Guard? I know how I feel looking at the Honor Guard.
0: It's such a sacred, solemn experience. You know, when you stand on the hillside of Camp Williams and you're standing at the gravesite of a veteran and understanding, uh, regardless of what branch of service they were in or, or what served, uh, what war, war they served in, or if they were serving even during peacetime, it's just that it's there is no other way to describe it other than it's sacred and solemn. It's. Really, a beautiful thing to be there and be a part of that, and it's it's beautiful to be part of it as well because of the families and and the families uh, I know are, are grateful that we are there and that we get to be a part of that because it's it's a personal experience for them too. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, the families uh, didn't know their their loved one's story, and they end up finding out a lot of things after the fact. Mm-hmm. So, it's yeah, it's an amazing experience. Yeah.
1: So what advice would you give to someone who was contemplating joining the military other than go Air Force?
0: <laughs> no, that's aim high. <laughs> <laughs> what advice would I give? What advice did you give your boys? Because you have two Marines, right? I do have two Marines. Um, I mean, how, how did you I feel always... when
2: they joined the Marine Corps?
0: I was very proud of them. Um. I was also scared for them. I think it's natural to be scared for your child when they're going into. I I don't want to say just the Marines, but just a branch of service during a time when there's been so much um, going on overseas. But at the same time, I also know that um, what their what their duties are are when they're serving, and so I, I, you know, this is going to maybe even sound crazy, but. <laughs> I I don't I'm not fear driven, and I think that um, the fact that that myself or anybody else who serves, that's what they've agreed to do, and that's an important piece to um, I, I think life. Mm-hmm. I wish everybody had the opportunity to do it. Actually, do you? Did you? Do
2: they discuss it with you before they joined? And did you guys have some discussions about whether or not to join and which
0: branch to join? No, my oldest, uh, decided to spring it on us. Uh, said, I, I'm going to join the Marine Corps. And we actually were surprised by that because he said, I'm never going to join the military. <laughs> and then he turned around and joined. So, you know, it's at that point as a parent that you realize what impact you have on your kids when you've been in the military. Mm-hmm. Um, my second son, um, he was a little bit more, I, I guess, it, it, they both kind of did it. They both did it in their senior year, made this decision in their senior year. We had never had Marine Corps in our family. They were the first Marine Corps in our family. So I'm thinking, well, I've never experienced that. I've only done the Air Force. We have. I have a brother right now, uh, brother-in-law, uh, two brother-in-laws and a sister-in-law that are, uh, that are all active duty right now. And I have a, a brother who's now a veteran active duty from the active duty Navy. Um, so we have a lot of military families so we kind of it's almost like it's just commonplace like that's just what you do <laughs> you don't think about it you just you you just go I want to serve and that's what I do that's but is it like, part you of know, our lifestyle But is it Utah BYU uh, you know do you guys have rivalries <laughs> uh, well there's always rivalries between um, every branch of service and mm-hmm. we all know the jokes among ourselves of what we tell each other you know usually the air force gets the brunt of that yes, yes they do. <laughs> but but it's okay. I also have my sons, when they came back and said, oh, mom, I should have gone into the Air Force. And I said, now I might get in trouble for that because they're Marine Corps They're like, oh, you know. But yeah. but no, I mean, I think because there are, we all have our jobs and roles within each of the branches of service, and, and they're all respected. At the end of the day, we give each other a really hard time, but we we it's- definitely are a yeah. A, a close group.
1: It's, it's like a family. You can, it is a family. Uh, I can make fun of my brothers, but you better not make fun of Th- my That's brothers. right. You know, well, and, and that of...
0: happens with my sons, you know. If there's, I mean, they talk about having each other's back.
1: If you or any veteran you know is feeling self-destructive or suicidal, please don't hesitate to use the Veterans Crisis Line by either calling 1-800-273-8255 and pressing 1 or by texting 838 838- or by visiting www.veteranscrisisline.net. This 24-7 confidential service is for all veterans, all service members, the National Guard and Reserve, their family members, and their friends. Join us again for the next episode of We Happy Few. If you have comments about the show, please contact us by email at tips at loudmouthproject.com or on Twitter at loudmouthjason. Check out our website at loudmouthproject.com and navigate to the We Happy Few page. You can also find and subscribe to free episodes of our podcast on the Google Podcast, iTunes, and other places where you find interesting shows. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback and it helps grow our audience. We would like to thank our producer and editor, Josh Chilton and our creative director, Amy Donaldson, for adding the spit and polish to our show. I'm Jason Comstock, and until next time, Keep listening, keep learning, and stay engaged. We Happy Few is a production of the Loudmouth Project.
0: It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison.
2: Then all of a sudden they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me.